I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to the RAIN Insights podcast from RAIN Network. In this episode, David Lawrence, co-founder of RAIN, speaks with Forhad Razak about his work in the due diligence space. Forhad is the president of Integros Intelligence Inc., a highly respected firm offering due diligence, employment screening, and investigative services. Forhad is widely recognized in the industry for his ability to develop long-term partnerships with clients and for his dedication to customer needs. Forhad, uh, first, uh, thanks for taking the time. Um, this is, I'm anticipating a terrific conversation and um, quite frankly, it's a privilege to be able to speak with you. I thought we might start by giving you the floor just in terms of um, your background and your experience in open source intelligence, data, diligence, background checkings, etc. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a, it's a real honor for me as well uh, to be on your show. Um, just by way of background, um, my I'm, I come from an immigrant Bangladeshi family. Uh, we grew up in Queens and uh, spent a lot of time in Brooklyn. So unwittingly, um, as I learned later on, that was really my true introduction to the world of uh, security, personal safety, situational awareness, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and so uh, my uh, professional um, uh, work history began with a company, which you probably recall, uh, Guardsmark. Uh, it's no longer around, but it was a fine, probably the, certainly I'm drinking the company Kool-Aid, uh, the best um, security services provider during its time. And I got the good fortune of working with some incredible people that were retired law enforcement, military, security professionals. And I joined there, I guess, uh, before 9-11, right out of school, and really learned the security business from the ground up. And so I spent a number of years there, uh, was fortunate to be able to grow with the organization and run one of the offices here in New York before I, I left and started a consulting company, which based with my partner, who I am still with today, by the way, uh, Anthony Picciano, uh, we, we started a consulting firm that basically leveraged our experience with the um, security guard industry, and we helped uh, clients um, select and manage their, you know, internal and external um, security guard forces. Um, <laughs> we learned pretty quickly that it was a great business, but very difficult to scale. And eventually, we ended up um, sort of, and I'm using the term loosely, selling the company to a investigative firm out on Long Island. And that was our introduction in 2008 into the world of background screening, due diligence, investigations, open source, all that sort of stuff. And truthfully, it meant something very different 
at that time than it does today. And I think a year from now, it'll mean something different. It's a it's a dynamic thing and something that really needs to be studied and followed. Um, so that that was my introduction. And basically, um, we learned the ins and outs of how to do research, where to get information from, what it means to do desktop versus in-person court research, uh, what's a direct source of information versus a data broker. Um, so all those kind of things we learned over time. And um, essentially in 2016, we, we left that organization and bought the current one that uh, uh, we are at Integris Intelligence and, uh, you know, basically uh, platformed off of that to where we are today. So uh, that's a mouthful, but uh, I guess a general overview of my background. So um, I will mention to the audience that uh, in working with Farhad, one of the most expert researchers, and I want to delve into this because what has occurred um, and I've seen, I, I started to see this when I was still at Goldman Sachs and certainly subsequently, is the commoditization of um, diligence research and some fundamental misunderstandings in the marketplace, even amongst sophisticated financial firms, investors, even, you know, uh, at times representatives of government agencies about what it means to do research. Um, and when I say commoditization because of technology, you know, various watch lists and other things are screened and there are various groups of people who, you know, have some form of automation for scraping and things like that. But I wanted to maybe kick off the discussion with a distinction between uh, publicly available information and readily accessible information. Open source information versus what people might see by simply going on to the uh, internet. And very often, um, I, I know because we've had conversations about this, but you know, clients will say, well, I Googled someone, etc. And I have to just remind them that Google is first and foremost Yes, it's a great search engine, but it's it's also a search engine geared uh, around advertising, and it by no means, you know, drives the types of deeper dives into available open source information. So maybe you can help um, set the landscape for our listeners here. Sure, David. Um, <clears throat> First, as, as right before I dive into that, I think it's, it's really important that people understand the purpose of why they are doing a background check or conducting a due diligence on someone because that really sets the stage for um, what happens next, right? Open source, not open source, all those kind of things. So in general, and there's a million categories, I guess you could, you could, you could put it into, but what we deal with are employers, right, which are governed by the FCRA and other local and state laws, um, <clears throat> companies uh, like potential vendors and things like that, 
attorneys who need like uh, information on witnesses and other things like that, and then investors, so like M and A activity and you know things like that. I think it's important to know which category you're in uh, or subcategory of those because it's going to really dictate what you can do, how you can do it, especially, most importantly, actually, if you're using a third party to do it, because that that plays a role in this as well. And so that's going to set the stage for, you know, where you could look, what you could look at from the screening company's perspective, what can be reported, what can't be reported, all those sort of things, right? So, but to answer your question, um, again, open source also is a relative term. I think if you asked... Uh, 10 different people um, what they thought, I think you'd get 10 different answers, right? And so generally speaking, I think open source is anything that's available publicly, right? So sometimes people relegate that to just what's on desktop searches, right? So examples would be like you mentioned, a Google search, right? Another example would be like court uh, data that's available online, right? Um, other 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 resources are like um, these third-party data brokers that you could pay a fee for, uh, connect, you know, getting a background check on a person or company or whatever it is that you're looking at. So generally, that's what people look at as like open source data, anything that someone, anyone could obtain. And while that's in fact true, um, there are varying quality uh, in terms of where to look and how to get information. A simple, simple example would be court data, right? So most jurisdictions have some sort of repository that you could look at online, right? But even on those websites, there are disclaimers just basically saying the information may not be accurate, up to date, or just complete, right? And so you know, that's open source and it's available, right, to anyone uh, that can gain access to it. But is it the same as doing a, uh, a search in the court for the same information? Generally, we find that there is a discrepancy between looking at online repositories and, you know, in-person court searches. So, that's just an example. There's obviously much, much more. There's, you know, deep and dark web and, you know, other things like that. So hopefully that answers your question. It does, Farhad. And the point being made here is um, desktop, depending upon whose desktop is being used, uh, the breadth and width of the information uh, is is a function of access to particular databases and access, as you said, you know, sometimes uh, going offline to court records, regulatory filings, uh, the morgue departments of various media sources, um, also going on to social media, etc. So, um, again, uh, the, the message I just wanted to get across is there there's open source information and then there's you know readily accessible information and then there is this stuff that's actually hard to find but is still open source and I'm glad you began with the notion of you know the purpose of diligence 
Um, I've had the good fortune to both write on this and, and also to collaborate with people in this, but I've, I've, I've come to a simple definition of uh, diligence, uh, which is it's not about regulatory compliance. Um, that's part of it. Uh, it is not simply a matter of reputational risk management. It's not a matter of, you know, sort of legal, um, protecting yourself legally. Ultimately, it's a search for the truth or an attempt to search for the truth to learn either about a company and its people and its history or individuals and their backgrounds. And one of the things that I know you and I have discussed in the past is very often, and this goes back to the commoditization uh, point, but very often the search for the truth can be a matter of, well, there are no disciplinary records, no criminal violations, no regulatory violations, no um, what I'll refer to as adverse litigations, um, and therefore the person must be fine. There is the other aspect of diligence, which is requires the human analysis to see what somebody has said about themselves. And as you're going through the record, if you're not seeing substantiation for certain representations. There is the aspect where somebody has omitted something and you're finding it in the public record and you're now questioning why are they not including that information. Prior employment, maybe a place where they used to live, etc. Uh, the words they choose when they're talking about their academic and employment record, you know, are these words that are kind of squishy, potentially misleading, technically truthful, but maybe not fully accurate. And so maybe you can just chat a little bit about the importance of the human element in analyzing the information that you are able to find, whether online or offline. I think that is a critical point in all of this, right? So, again, you mentioned the word commoditizing, right? Like um, background checks or due diligence work and sort of like getting instant or very quick, cheap, timely gratification from information through technology, right? And I think you would agree that the technology is an incredibly helpful part to all of this, right? Uh, because it does allow you to efficiently get information, get data, access it, disperse it, distribute it, all that kind of stuff. It makes it really, really helpful, right? But the human eyes and the analysis um, is undoubtedly the most critical aspect to this, right? And that's particularly important where there is information, right? So sometimes people look at, like, let's just take a database report, right? I'm not talking about the ones that are available to just anyone, but, like, we're private investigators, so the ones available to us, right? So you take one of those database reports, which has incredible, it's a great tool, everybody uses it, and it has great information on there, right? And and usually it's the starting place, not the ending place, uh, if you're doing a thorough job, right? And so, so some people take those and that's the background check, right? That's the diligence and here you go and it's instant, it's quick, it's cheap, all those kind of things, right? 
you know, what we subscribe to is, yes, that's very useful, but let's, let's also supplement what's available through technology with human eyes and hands and all that sort of stuff. Because generally speaking, that's where, um, again, it completes the process, right? So a, an individual can see something that perhaps technology can't catch on to. Secondly, again, depending on the purpose and what you're doing it for and why and all that sort of stuff, they could also determine what it is that should be reported and what it is that maybe cannot be reported. And sometimes with, with again, technology and, com you know, like sort of bulk uh, reports, that distinction is not made. And there is plenty of information and court cases out there where, you know, that information has basically been taken, given to the end user and who makes a decision off of it. And it turns out to be inaccurate unreportable or whatever the case is after the fact so great uh, I want to switch gears a little bit uh, because with the I'll call it the digitization of information and the way that information about our personal and professional lives are captured very often through our own devices. Uh, it was interesting, um, Senator Menendez, uh, who is under indictment, um, I don't know whether Farhadi had a chance to look at the indictment, uh, but uh, it was uh, included that in his Google search, he had uh, searched for the price, the value of gold bars. And uh, one of the things that I know many people within our network are, are increasingly focused on is the amount of information that is out there, I'll use that term in quotes, uh, about our personal and professional lives where we have traveled, which is very often tracked by our phones, uh, where we are eating types of credit card expenses, the purchases, our search history, our online history, um, what we're querying about. Um, I remember that for a client, um, we were doing, Dr. Lesser and I were doing some research on uh, substance use facilities uh, for recovery, and we both started uh, to get uh, all of a sudden, like a week later, um, the old form of uh, solicitations in the in, in the U.S. postal mail uh, about various recovery facilities, and they would start with with uh, letters that we know you you or a family member are right now struggling with substance use issues, and I wanted to really pick your brain uh, for purposes of this podcast to talk about the amount of information that's out there and also the fact that there are data brokers out there who sell this information um, very often to legitimate parties who may or may not bother to understand where the information came from, but certainly when it comes to politics and targeting voters, when it comes to consumers, when it comes to 
what I'll refer to as um, individuals who are profiling people to create, you know, potential solicitation and sales lists and things like that. That there is a tremendous amount of information that's been bundled that also makes assumptions about who you are and how you vote and what your issues may be. So if I could, I'd just like to give you the microphone to give people a tutorial uh, about how much information is out there and how it's um, bundled, marketed, and pretty much uh, sold by data brokers. And maybe explain that network to us. Sure, David. Uh, yes, I mean, managing your privacy, uh, again, most people aren't necessarily thinking about this. It's only once there is an issue that then they start looking at it and then, you know, they realize, wow, there there is a lot of information out there about me, right? Again, some people choose to have it that way because it helps them, their brand, their business, whatever the case is. A lot of people would prefer not to have it out there like that, right? So, you know, I think, um, again, there's two main buckets that people, like, get concerned about um, with relation to, like, online information, right? One, I think, is the obvious, which is privacy, right? Like, again, safety, all those kind of things that I think we all think about when someone knows where we live, how many kids that we have, uh, do we own a house, you know, all, all the things that, that you mentioned. And then the other reason is protecting yourself from misinformation, right? I mean, that's the other, like, real, so, so for those people that aren't really worried that people might be able to Google them and find them and may even ask for that, uh, what they don't want is misinformation to be out there, right? Um, and so, you know, in terms of what is out there, right? Um, again, there's there's a couple of things to think about, right? One is just like if you were going to do a self-assessment, right, of yourself and say, all right, I just want to learn more about myself. And you punch in your name on Google and you start looking at the results, right? And you say, okay, well, um, you know, that's me, that's me, this is not me, I want this, I don't want this, all, all those kind of things, right? That's that's one way of sort of just looking and assessing what's out there about you, right? But then there's these data brokers, and there's, again, a lot of them, where they basically say, hey, uh, you know, for, uh, if you want to conduct a background check, come on our site and punch in this information, you know, make a $50 payment and we'll give you a full time, uh, uh, we'll give you a full background check or it, it, you'll, it'll make you enter in some basic data and then it'll say, yes, this person has criminal records uh, for more information on that, pay for it here, right? And so uh, there are those things that are available. And I, again, I'm just talking about like the general public, open source, that kind of thing, right? And so then you, you, you purchase these things and you, you look at it and you say, all right, let's just say I have a common name, John Smith, right? And it says John Smith has all these. I can't tell you how many times this actually just happened yesterday where a client called. They said, hey, I ran this. Uh, I have this threat. I'm worried about this person that is um, 
you know, soliciting my wife for different things is very persistent. I did a, you know, search on him and it looks like he's a registered sex offender. He's had a numerous arrests. He's a felon, all those kind of things. Right. And, um, you know, I, I need your help in kind of sorting through that. Right. And so, again, where he got that is from one of these reports and just Googling. Right. And so then we figure out the actual sus, uh, subject and then we do our process of doing a, a due diligence on him. And we find that there is a person with the exact same name, exact same birthday, um, with all of those hits that that the person was thinking about, right? That was the subject, and that's why he was so concerned, right? And so, um, what what happens is we tell the client that, and he says, well, "I I don't get it. I I don't get why this is showing this, and you're telling me something else." And you know, we try to explain it to to him until you know again our faces were purple but he just would not accept it right and eventually he found out that there was a complete miss the thing that prompted this whole chain of events was a complete misunderstanding and basically um uh that he was mistaken and he accepted our findings at that point right Think about that story. Think about how dangerous all that is, because he actually filed a police report on this guy, by the way, right, saying that he was stalking and threatening his family and that there were all these issues. And they coincidentally, a lot of things did happen. Right. But he was basing this on misinformation. Right. So now the guy that was, you know, making the contact. Right. Which, again, in our opinion, didn't look nefarious. Um you know, think about like other people that may be making decisions about him based off of the same data. Right. And so, you know, again, part of what we talked about is knowing your data, knowing what's out there and making sure that you're doing what you can to sort of make sure that a you're not unnecessarily exposed to potentially dangerous situations as a result of information out there. But also, again, reputationally, uh, people thinking and making decisions based off of what they think is true versus not being true, right? Does that all make sense? Is I mean, I, hopefully that example kind of demonstrates again yeah. how much data there is and how dangerous it could be. It does, and I, I just want to push a little bit here because the data brokers are not, generally speaking, the people. Put it this way: they they have assembled. What I'll refer to is, you know, basically files on people uh, based upon a wide variety of, of factors. And, you know, some of this stuff, uh, again, um, it reflects, as you, you mentioned, sort of we've lost control of our own personal information. We don't have it. We've sort of traded the convenience of various devices and we just, you know, quite frankly, there's no negotiation, but you just sort of check the box on agreeing to the privacy policy of a particular company or platform that you're using. And I think that, you know, one of, one of the issues, and, and you're starting to see, you know, some focus on this amongst policymakers, but one of the issues, not only have, do we not control um, 
our own personal data have we lost control of it but we don't even know what's out there right and we don't know what decisions or conclusions are being drawn or inferences are being drawn based upon that information and uh, there was an article that I read not too long ago I won't it was a wired magazine but one of the biggest uh, acquirers of data uh, is the US government itself and some of that obviously is for national security purposes enforcement purposes etc but maybe um, you can elaborate just a little bit about the types of information that have been gathered are collected and are basically stored sometimes anonymously you know based upon certain devices in certain areas but it's not hard to basically re-engineer and and and, and sort of uh, figure out the identities of various people and I think it would be helpful because I know you're in the industry and I know you know you have very very strict standards in your business but nonetheless there is this I'll call it a shadow market that is out there sure um, well again the the these data brokers I mean they're collecting information and oftentimes reselling that information which is resold multiple times over and they're they're getting this information from like credit header information voter registration I think you mentioned that earlier county clerk records court records motor vehicle registrations and other things like that uh, utility records all, all that sort of stuff right and basically I mean it's collecting everything from obviously your name previous names date of birth address history um, property ownership uh, UCC's uh, liens and judgments all those kind of things it's it's collecting all of that information right but you know what what's tricky about like these data brokers is that they're, they're not saying this is 100% this is particularly a problem with you know anyone with a common name or anything like that oftentimes these records can mix different people with the same name it could mix information from like a father and son senior junior it could mix information between relatives right uh, living in the same household or separately so meaning that's the world of information that's out there and it's collected again almost like I, I think your point about like just you know clicking yes clicking I agree clicking like again you don't know oftentimes most people are probably guilty of accepting those things not realizing you know what they're actually agreeing to and what they're actually putting out there and then like I said that information gets regurgitated many 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 times over and additional information is picked up and it's almost like a, a cycle of information and you know again there are a lot of people that go on like this is done for executives oftentimes where managing their online sort of privacy and data you know they'll have people contacting all of these agencies saying hey I'd like to remove my information I'd like to remove my information and they do successfully right but because the information has been resold it's a dynamic ongoing process because three months later someone else will pop up with the information right so uh, it really is almost a full-time job and I think to your point one of the best things and you know obviously I could talk about some other things that 
one could do to kind of help manage all this stuff and prevent from, you know, your information getting out there even further. But, you know, the it's it's just they really again, it's a it's a simple yet complicated thing that uh, we're all faced with and make decisions on every single day. But I think most people don't even realize that that's the decision that they're making. I think that's a, um, a great point. And um, this has been a terrific discussion for us. And I look forward to working closely with you um, in the future and including, um, you know, and, and something that I haven't yet, you know, seen in the market. Um, not, you know, as you said, some executives do this. They try to manage the, the reputation. But uh, very often people don't know what's out there and what's um, not only viewable, but what actually has been bundled and packaged together. And, uh, you know, there's a uh, expression, KYC, uh, know, know your customer, which, you know, is part of the regulatory requirements around money laundering and, you know, various, and screening for illicit activity and stuff. Um, I'm thinking about a new acronym, uh, KYD, uh, which is know your data and the ability of all of us to understand, you know, what's out there and what conclusions potentially can be drawn. And those include, by the way, um, conclusions about admissions to various associations and schools um, into, you know, certain credit decisions that are being made. And I'll just tie this into something a little more current, which uh, it was just yesterday that uh, President Biden issued the executive order on AI and was certainly focused on uh, what I'll refer to as some of the embedded um, decisions and what I'll refer to as potential prejudices and um, we'll call it inferences that can be built into AI to make judgments about people and companies and organizations that may not be accurate and certainly may not be fair. So um, oh, this is my long-winded way of saying uh, a conversation to be continued and uh, very much appreciate your time today. Thank you, David. I, I really appreciate being on here with you. Hopefully, again, some of the uh, items that um, we discuss will help at least people give things a second thought and just ensure that, um, uh, you know, they don't just unwittingly make decisions that, again, could come to uh, bite them in the rear later on. Uh, what I may ask, and um, I know you, you've put together some great guidelines and things like that, so we'll grab those and we'll post them alongside this podcast so people can download some things. Sure, yeah. There's there's a uh, best practices document that we, we put together yes. that address all of these things. So I think you, I might have sent that to you already. So Yes, so that we'll post your uh, best practices guidelines so people can access that uh, along with this podcast. Farhad, thanks so much and look forward to the continued conversation. Thank you, David. This is the Rain Insights podcast, which is part of the Rain Insights series, comprised of both virtual and real-world events, offering unique practical perspectives from Rain's leading experts in risk management. To learn more, please visit us at rainnetwork.com. 
That's R-A-N-E network.com. Thanks for listening.